Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, and today in the studio we have a very special guest, uh, Diane Jones from architecture firm PTW. Diane, Diane's extensive uh, experience in heritage, justice, civic, degraded communities and therapeutic environment projects is guided by the principle that architectural spaces and settings gain their meaning through the experiences of people and by a strong sense of responsibility to the wider community and environment. Diane has also been extensively quoted throughout the media, so we are honoured to have her here today. So, Diane Jones, you're, you are best known for, well, your firm is best known for the National Aquatic, for designing the National Aquatic Centre in um, in um, uh, Beijing, for the, the, the water cube at the, the Beijing, cube. The Beijing mm. Olympics, yeah? Um, that's a pretty, pretty cool thing. Yes, believe, yes. and it, w- it was actually quite quite beautiful. Um, you've also done work in the region in PNG, for example. Yes. Um, so recently, I've heard that Indonesia mm. is moving its capital. Jakarta is sinking. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they're moving it, the the capital to a site in Borneo, Kalimantan, mm-hmm. apparently. So, do you think that highly regarded Australian architects, as as yourself and firms as PTW? Yes. Do you think that we have something to offer um, in to the Indonesians in in the way they design the new capital? I mean, we've done this about a hundred or so years mm. ago, just over a hundred years ago mm. with Canberra. Mm. Is there something that we can teach them that where we've made mistakes, where mm. they could avoid mistakes? Mm. Um, well, PTW have had an office, an affiliated office in Jakarta for. Perhaps over twenty years. Okay. Yeah, um, and I think the other issue is that architecture is quite global, and people do work around the world, and in collaborative teams, where always an outsider's view can bring something different and new, even if it's just raising questions that people answer or being able to provide um, benchmarking information, etc. But but I. Urban design, and I think probably the problems with a lot of the new capitals is that they tend to be isolated and not so tied into the um, local and really treasured um, infrastructure and culture of the place. And I think there can be a problem about fly-in, fly-out advice. So it does need to be, I think, really embedded in in the um, regional culture. Because because Jakarta would have been partly designed by the by the Dutch, would it not? Yes, it would have. And I think you know when you look at the colonial architecture, there's really quite a lot to learn about how it responded to the climate okay. and um, took elements of the traditional culture and built it into the Western culture. And there are some sort of fantastic um, learnings to be taken from many aspects of Indonesian culture, even the way that th- there's um, the differentiation between public and private space is not so clear um, as it might be in some Western cultures. And there are always, the, you know, those really fundamental issues that need to be taken into account in the beginning. So it's not just so much about... Um, planning and investment and transactions. It really needs to be about how the space is going to be used, how it's going to change over time. And I remember a really interesting talk in India with a member of the National Trust there, and it was about one of the anniversaries of Shandigar. And um, 
they had a very interesting view that it should be allowed to fall into ruins, whereas what they had all the outsiders coming in saying, oh, no, it's such a prime example of Le Corbusier's work, etc., etc. Uh-huh. And the comment they made it that was it's so tightly designed that it didn't allow for the interstitial space and the changeover of the time and for the local population to make parts of it their own. Okay. And I think that's a very... Um, lesson for all of us when we're designing anything actually okay interesting so keeping in the region uh, one of your designs was of the uh, the Port Moresby uh, Courthouse yes we worked with um, Pedalthorpe in Brisbane and Jace, um, James Cupboard Architects um, a consortium of three firms for the new Waigani National Courts which is the new National Courts complex for PNG right and, and one of the things that w- one of the issues that came into the design oh. was the fact that you took into, into into consideration the needs of vulnerable witnesses, or in some cases, domestic violence survivors. Yes, yeah. um, which resulted in a, in a design, for example, with discrete hidden entries yes. and a space for counsellors. Yes, um, is this something that? we have in Australia or is it something we, we need in Australia? No, we, we do have it in Australia. We do, and I okay. think I think the um, very good thing about the way the process developed for the Wagani National Courts is that we were able to take the learnings from especially uh, some empirical studies and research um, that had been done in Australia in those, those fields and to um, take that or to talk about it really with the local um, client and the judiciary and all the support groups so there was nothing like that in the brief we were given to start with Um, we knew it was a major issue in Papua New Guinea Um, we were careful to quietly raise it and discuss um, with one of the women uh, Supreme Court judges how best to raise that issue mm-hmm. and then when it was sort of quietly raised and said, and we asked if we could have the consultation with all the relevant people um, they said oh yes of course this is um, an, an issue for us and really engaged with it they came out to see some examples in Australia okay. we talked about how it might work in their context and it developed from there so I always cite that as a good example where um Australian government money for the ARC right. linkage grants was then be able to be developed into a form of knowledge that could be then shared with um, a developing country and somewhere close to us, important to us for nationally. Keeping with regional design, um, and, I, and I'm going to I'm going to bring up one of your quotes. So this is, this is what you you were quoted oh, by. Did by I? Yeah, <laughs> yes, it, 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 it was. It was said it was you in Domain a few years ago, yes. or a couple of years ago rather. Um, you were quoted as saying in Japanese architecture, diagonal views are really important. There is some empirical work that has been done on the importance of that and the importance of glancing light. Where and how have you applied this principle uh, locally, and why um, does this matter? Yes, so. First of all, um, I think it's important to say that I think architectural design is really 
uh, works between a certain intuition, a certain experience, plus observation and research, and they interact with each other. So observations mm -hmm. will allow you to understand some things or maybe frame some questions to ask, and you can ask that of research and vice versa. Um, I guess we've always had uh, intuition. It's the diagonal. But right. if you look at any analyses of um, traditional Japanese architecture, they talk about the diagonal movement through. Right. And there's a lot of um, literature about how um, movement through Japanese architecture or certain Asian architectures are related to the way the language works, which is different to the way the Western language uh -huh, works. Okay. And it's not so straightforward as having a subject and a verb and an object. And so there's that. Um, when we were doing the consultation for the um, new mental health unit in Canberra, we did about 380 hours of face-to-face -face consultation, many of which were many of those hours were with um, people's carers or people who, who were sometimes ill and at that time they weren't ill. And the importance of being able to look up to the sky during the day and night, being able to look down onto the grass, came up again and again. So it was this diagonal. Okay. Um, so we actually embedded that in the design for that mental health unit so that um, mm -hmm. people could either lie on the grass and look at the sky or they could lie on a bench in the socialisation area at night and look up through the skylight and see the stars above. And then I guess um, Perkins, I went to a lecture and Perkins and Will, the big American company, which right. is a very strong um, research base, actually did some physical testing for a um, hospital, a very large hospital, and using um, virtual reality, they were able to find that if people were able to have the light coming as they walked along a certain path diagonally, their stress levels were so much lower than okay. different types of light. So I think, it, again, is this mixture of um, observation, people telling you things, and empirical research. ETW has actually partnered with academics and research bodies around Australia. Yes. Um, I think more so than, than, than a lot of firms, actually, from what I can gather. I mean, yes, you know, yes, from what I can we see. Have, yes. um, just what have been the advantages and overall results of this, this partnership process? Um, it's quite interesting. This morning we had a presentation to a client, and it was actually a wonderful meeting because um, we the client is looking at a new model of, of development mm -hmm. and we were able to talk about some of the research that has been done and and why we you know we had tried to do certain things in the design what the basis of it was and they were sort of curious to have more and more of that so that because they're trying to break a mold trying to um, break conventional ways of thinking with their component mm -hmm. you know they're an overall client client they have component user right. groups and so they really were um hungry curious to have that backup information so that they can help transform the culture and the use of the facilities as they feel 
needs to happen and is happening overseas. So I think that's really the value of linking research with academia. It also means that you're just not working with architects or engineers. You're working with sociologists. You're working you know, in the justice field, the criminologists who have absolutely different ways of looking at questions That's and true. problems. Yes, and <coughs> they, um, one of my co-convener of the research net- network always says to me, why do architects think they're always 100% right? You know, we as sociologists know we're only 50% right. How right. can you be so sure you're 100% right? And I think that is a good lesson for us in the field. UTS, uh, just uh, recently, and I read on the ABC's mm. um, um, news site this morning, said that it will allow women applying for degrees in engineering, IT or construction, I'm assuming uh, architecture may well eventually come into that as well, to, uh, to use what, what this is the, uh, the ABC's terminology, not yes. mine, gender points, yes. uh, to leapfrog men with higher ATARs as part of an effort to boost the number of women in, in STEM or STEAM, depending on mm. what you want to call them, mm. subjects. Um, what are your views on, on this? Because this has been fairly contentious and we've had a similar um, uh, idea being floated by Harvard in the US, mm. uh, although not, not so much um, uh, for, uh, geared toward women, but rather toward um, Latino and African Americans. Mm. Mm. Um, what are your views on this and mm. what do you think... Uh, will be uh, the long-term results of this? Yeah. Um, well, in that, probably use architecture that I know quite well. There, are, in universities, in architecture schools, there are at least fifty percent, if not mm-hmm. more, women, which has developed over the phase. But uh, in practice itself, there's still a relatively small percentage of women right. practicing after ten years, and certainly in senior levels of practice Mm -hmm. Um, so I think looking at our own practice Mm. we have perhaps not consciously but unconsciously tried very hard to actually um, give women the opportunity to participate in all levels of the practice so that we can work towards a 50-50% so Probably, I do think there's some validity in that, at least for maybe a number of years, Mm -hmm. a short time, Mm -hmm. it depends on the percentage, because I think as a a lone female, it's it's a very hard um, life, it's a very hard fight, too hard. So I think you do need to have some um, numbers in order to change things. Okay. All right. It's interesting you say the 50% because I believe Helen Lockhead, who I interviewed, in fact, it was my second uh, podcast oh, yes. ever. Oh, good. Um, uh, she said the same figures, which I actually was um, quite astounded. I, mm. I actually thought they would have been l- lower. Mm. And she said, yes, um, we start off with more or less parity. Yes. And then over time, the, you know, if you were to draw a graph, you know, the, the male participation rate goes up. Yes. Whereas a female participation drops off like, Drops very, is very substantially. Yes, very, yes, very, yes. very steeply. Apparently, yes, she says yes, as well. Yes, yes, that's true. So I do think um, architectural practices do have to make a conscious effort to be able to, because you know we're a sort of knowledge service in um, profession, and it makes sense that we represent the full population for whom we're working, for whom we're designing. Mm-hmm. 
think that that architects in Australia have a view that's overtly influenced by overseas, or do you think that there is a an, an, a, a, um, a local focus or a local culture that's developed in terms of design? And do you think that we don't take enough uh, notice of Indigenous design, or do we? Where do you think Australian architects stand on all that? I think um, you can see that there is really moves to embrace all parts of our history and our our culture, and that's being done much more consciously now, Mm -hmm. Um, and that includes Indigenous cultures. Um, But I don't think we can ever pretend that we can understand innately. But but it's like anything, you know, if you're designing a prison, well, hopefully you haven't been on the other side. Exactly. But you do I don't know whether if if we want to have prisoners designing prisons, but anyway. (laughs) But you need to to be able to understand, to try and understand, to know what the issues are. To empathise. Yes, to empathise. And that applies in whatever, whatever you do. And to work very hard to actually um, under- take that knowledge, trying to transfer it. And our job is really to give physical form to the ideas and knowledge of others to certainly contribute. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, our skill uh, and our value is being able to translate that into spaces okay. that support models of living, models of knowledge, etc. So in a, in a way, you're a bit like journalists. You have to put yourself in, in, in the shoes of someone else to try and translate that. Yes, yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. Interesting. Diane Jones, thank you very much. That has been actually fascinating. Oh, thank you. Are you enjoying? I hope you're enjoying the... Yes, I am. And it's it's great to see everything on the same floor so easily accessible. Yes, yes I yes. am. Thank you very much. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Have a lovely weekend. You've been listening to talk. You've been listening to Diane Jones from PTW, uh, and this is Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>